0: How are you? Good to see you. Welcome back to Insight. So good to have you with us on another audio adventure. I'm Chris Van Fleet, and I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate you being here for this episode and for every episode. Thank you for making Insight one of the top podcasts in the world. And today's episode is a special one because my guest today, Stevie Richards, does not do very many interviews. So I feel so honored that we were able to share this conversation where we talk about everything in his life, in his career, and in his business, Stevie Richards Fitness, which you can find out more about at stevierichardsfitness.com. You can find him on Twitter. He's at BWO Stevie. BWO, of course, stands for the Blue World Order. On Instagram, he is at Stevie Richards. You can follow me at Chris Fanvleet. Over on Instagram, by the way, I'm giving away a free big gold belt from Fandu Belts. Oh, it's badass. And if you're into that kind of thing, Look for my post there with the big gold belt for details on how you can enter and you can be the champ yourself with this big gold belt. The John Marquez left this review on Apple Podcasts with the title, To Be The Man. To be the man, woo! You gotta, well, you gotta be CVV. I've been a fan of the show for about a year now. If you're a first-time listener, Chris and his guest will pull you in. I love this podcast. Entertaining to the max. I love how Chris ends every episode with three things to be grateful for. And I can say that I'm grateful for Chris, his guests, and this podcast. (laughs) Keep up the great work, brother. Well, thank you, John. I'm grateful for you. That's uh, very kind of you to list off those three grateful things there. The The reason I do that gratitude exercise at the end of every episode is, well, number one, I start and end every day saying out loud three things that I'm grateful for because it really sets the tone for your day and then your night and your sleep and everything like that. But more importantly, I get people to list off the things they're grateful for So hopefully you listening to this go, oh man, I'm really grateful for the things in my life. I'm grateful for my health or my family or my job or whatever it happens to be. So thank you for noticing that, John. Thank you for taking the review, taking the time to make a review. Only about a week left um, till we don't read any more reviews on the show. At least that's what I'm saying right now. But the goal is 2,000 reviews before my birthday. May 19th is my birthday. May 19th is next week, so. This may be one of the last reviews, but there's still time to get these reviews in so I can read one out on the next few episodes here. All right, let's get to it. I had such a blast talking to my guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, Stevie Richards. Stevie, it is an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you, Chris. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, even though we didn't really sync up. Uh, I watch a lot of your interviews. I just saw the Chris Masters one where he recounted the uh, the Polish Hammer incident. And also, uh, I took your advice about the. Oh my thing. gosh! Wow, <laughs> with the ridge wallet. Oh my
0: god! That that. Oh wallet. man,
1: I, I carried around. I was literally old Italian, South Philly Italian uh, father with the rubber band around the big wallet. Now I, I minimalized that.
0: This thing is life changing, isn't it?
1: It is. I I must admit I have the knockoff Amazon brand, but I'm thinking about upgrading to the official it, Bridge one. Just that style of putting that
0: wallet in your front pocket is so much better. And we'll get into the Chris Masters stuff <laughs> in just a little bit. But I got to say, man, you look incredible.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So do you, man. I'm looking at your camera, your microphone. You're all professional. You got the silver plaque behind you. Congratulations. It's well, good stuff.
0: Thank you. This was mostly a product of COVID and going, you know, you we would normally be doing this interview in person. Normally I would fly there. We would do this interview in person, but all of this is a product of COVID. And, you know, we we can't really be in the same space as someone right now.
1: Well, let's put a pin in it. And then when we can do it, we will make a promise to everybody out there. We'll do this one-on-one in the gym, working out together. How's that?
0: Oh my gosh. Done. We will do that for <laughs> sure. Yeah. your Your fitness is next level right now.
1: Actually, you know what? The funny thing is my fitness is very basic and beginner and back to foundational stuff. And that's kind of what I what I promoted Stevie Richards fitness is is really just, I mean, you can do it at any level, but I'm knowing now, being almost 50 years old, that I really knew, do need to address a lot of foundational problems, a lot of flaws. Your actual workouts are actually shorter than the prehab and the rehab stuff. So it's it's pretty interesting. It it might seem next level, but it's just basic physical therapy from almost 30 years of wrestling.
0: I mean, maybe just the results are next level because you're almost 50 years old. You turn 50 this year, which is incredible because you don't look even 40 years old. It's just a, so may- it's just a ponytail. That's all it is. And the, you still have hair. I think that's the
1: big thing. <laughs> do jinx me. That's the old Italian. That's That's why my dad with the thick wallet, I figured that was the secret. <laughs> old Italian father. Do your workouts have to be different now that you are closer to 50? I would say so. I mean, I'm sure you feel aches and pains from traveling and just everyday stressors and stuff. I would say that sometimes, like right now, I'm revisiting foundational strength, like Wendler 531, which is your four basic lifts. But there's an alternative reason for that, because I want to release a power band program for SRF by the end of the year. So it's kind of, I've been testing this quote in the lab to try to make sure that it all transfers over to a resistance band type workout. Uh, but you definitely have to do a lot of stuff to alleviate joint pain, prevent more joint damage. Uh, Yoga is involved for sure. Stretching, even I have an infrared sauna. There's all sorts of little, you can go as far as you want with the biohacking, or you can keep it as simple as don't eat don't eat sugar, don't drink soda, don't eat fast food. <laughs> <laughs> How
0: much has DDPY worked into this?
1: I haven't done that, honestly, since I was with the company until October 2016, and then I explored other versions of yoga, more vinyasa flow, uh, power yoga, which is what DDP yoga is based on. And it, I, I tell everybody out there who's asking for workouts, all you gotta do is search, search through YouTube. That's why I'm the worst, uh, the world's worst self-promoter. Rather than trying to sell you my programs, <laughs> I say you can just search on YouTube and just find what you need. But of course, having a structured program like mine in Dallas's helps you to not have to, you know. Uh, guess what you're doing is right for that day
0: i remember distinctly like early on in your run in wwe you went from being like a guy who was in okay shape to like being a jacked and tan guy like in my opinion it felt like overnight like what was the shift that happened there
1: well the number one it was the end of the right to censor which i was actually in the worst shape of my life 262 44 inch waist i remember stepping on the scale in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, next to Bull Buchanan, and you know how big that guy is. Yeah, I weighed more than him. And that was kind of the, and Ivory walked by. And, it, you know, people might say, how could you say this? But this was the point where I stopped making excuses and I started being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And she goes, my God, you're getting fat. And you might think in a, in a way that's sort of mean, especially in the society we live in today, but I, I, that was like the best thing that ever happened to me because it snapped me out of it. Like that's all it took. Then from that point on, Jr. had told me that honestly, and I, I, I give him credit for it, that my job was on the line, and they all, in all likelihood, they were probably going to fire me anyway. But I should probably try to get in shape to try to, you know, because I'm I'm out of shape, my work rate's not what it used to be, and he was right on both counts. Uh, and that started the process. Even though it seemed like overnight, uh, the chronic uh, short run happened where I had the the jet black hair. Then I went to uh, Heartland Wrestling Associati- Association, Les Thatcher's developmental territory, uh, and worked in OVW. Summit. And all it was was cardio twice a day. I cut my calories. I cut my carbs. Cut out all fast foods, uh, and and just dropped down to. In the end. In the beginning of the end, when I came back on TV, yeah. uh, I did a heat match myself and Justin Credible versus Big Show. People probably could see it on YouTube. I was around 193, 194. Oh my God. That was a six a month money. Cut. Yeah, but you, you're talking about it wasn't so much, wow, you made such a transformation. It was like you came from such a point of being so out of shape and so, <laughs> you know, excuse ridden and sort of lazy. And it took all these kicks in the ass to kind of get you going. And now it's like two pounds, one pound, five pounds. It freaks me out because I don't want to have any latitude to even turning 50. There's no excuse or latitude that I give myself to be any kind of range of, of out of shape. So what do you weigh right now? Too much. <laughs> I'm, I, You know, it's funny as I'm making a lot of adjustments and and as you get to be, I think even people... With environmental, like how old are you, Chris?
0: I'm 37, I'm about to be 38 next month.
1: Well, I'll, I'll make sure to put that in my calendar so I can wish May you happy 19th. Birthday. <laughs> May 19th. Oh, that's when C No Evil came out with Kane. your, Kane's <laughs> favorite know. day. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, at least my CT hasn't kicked in yet. That's I remember that stuff. You knew that. So, on, the, on that note, like 37, you're living out there in LA, you're traveling, you're doing this show. I think environmental stressors and even stress of work and money and all that stuff on top of it, the the way you have to adjust for those things, you get younger and younger. It used to be like, hey, when you turn 40, you really have to look at everything. When yeah. you turn 50, you have to look at all these things. I find out every week or a month, I have to reassess whether it be diet, workouts, both sleep. Uh It can become pretty trying, but really at the same time, it's fascinating. It never gets boring because you're kind of like, A human lab experiment every day kind of gauging things it can't be
0: easy to eat properly and eat clean when you're on the road with wwe well
1: i was a shakes and bar guy mostly because it was cheaper sure that's that's why and also like a lot of times i would be so nervous before shows i couldn't eat but the catering is so good (laughs) what's that the catering's so good. Well, don't think I didn't bring it back to the room and gorge myself after the show. Get, get a free meal off this. But, <laughs> but yeah, catering was good. I did eat catering sometimes, but I would have to... I'm sure you talk to talent often on camera that at a certain point in the day, because of your nerves or because of whatever, you're so afraid of being bloated. You're afraid of just not feeling... Uh, you feel sluggish or you feel tired. You just want to be ready to go. Do you think you would have been in better shape had you not
0: wrestled with a shirt on during Right to Censor?
1: You know, it's an interesting question because there is a psychological thing to that. Uh, my per- my personal life led to making a lot of different excuses and just things at home. And I was, I was allowing myself and I was being told by people who cared about me around me, no, it's okay. It's just an extra 10, a- which was the worst thing. It was an enabling thing, but that was on me. Putting the shirt on, yeah, I joke around saying, putting that shirt and tie on, uh, put 60 pounds on me. It is kind of a thing where you don't have the accountability because you might not say it out loud. You might not think it, but you're like, well, I'm covered up so I can always, you know, start my diet tomorrow or next week.
0: Sure. Let's take this back. So you grew up in Philadelphia, right? Yes. I know I screwed
1: up your mojo because usually it's like, no, no, not beginning and
0: there is there is no flow here. This is just a conversation like we bumped into each other, at, uh, you know, on the street or something like that. So, who were you when you were growing up in Philly?
1: Who was I? Yeah. Oh, I'm a lot of what I am now, but a lot less uncomfortable back then. I was always a a kid that never felt like he fit in. I'm always I was always a nerdy kid, a kid who really just was very. I was comfortable myself. I was never comfortable in large groups of people. So don't tell me how I picked wrestling. I And also, I I always wanted to do something that meant something that inspired people. I had no clue what it was. And as a young kid and not knowing how to express that, being shy, being bullied, just like anybody else, really, to whatever level it is. And it just, it turned out, like I said before about Ivory saying I'm fat, it turned out to be the biggest blessing because if I had fit in then, and if I had fit in throughout my life, leading up to my wrestling career, I wouldn't have had the the freedom to do it because I would have felt comfortable and content where I was at. Because I, I said, well, doing this and traveling and sleeping in my car and and going to this tryout and trying to see if I can work for free on this indie show, I would have never had that motivation because I would have said, well, it's nice and comfortable here. I would have, said, how bad can it be? It can't be any worse than I feel right now, any more rejected or alone. So I'm making it sound a lot worse than it is. I was raised in a regular family, went to high school. I did have friends. I did have hobbies. But deep down, I always found something about wrestling where I could escape real life and become somebody else. That was probably the foundation for that.
0: Who were some of the wrestlers that when you were younger, you looked up to?
1: Pretty much all of them because I had an idea. It was weird because as a a kid or a fan or a mark or you want to call it, I always had that respect of I guess because i want I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know if I ever could, but I've respected all of them, much like you look at like professional athletes, like I've never been one in these guys, even though I always wanted to do an n f l podcast. I never wanted to criticize a third string quarterback because that dude still made it to the n f l yeah like what right do I have? So everybody was, but obviously uh, on the top is Flair and Hogan because that was the ultimate dream match from my generation at, you know, ProRes and Illustrated used to sell their magazines every month with those two on the, the crack split cover of what happens if they ever meet. Yeah. Uh, and strangely enough, and this is going to seem like a homer or front runner, but I was a fan of Shawn Michaels when he was with the Midnight Rockers in AWA, maybe because we had a little bit of a, like my face is kind of lined up a little bit, but he was always so much more athletic, even in that tag team that wasn't really pushed in AWA. Uh, I always looked at him. I said, man, there's something about that guy. And he would, seemed athletic. And I always wanted to have that coordination, athleticism. And then I obviously have the Ric Flair's, the Dusties, the Savages to go along with the Hogan's and um, Four Horsemen. Who else? I'm not Barry Windham was an, was somebody who I saw that just, man, that guy moved so well. Uh, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express. I'm mentioning all these names too because it's it's weird throughout life, like the Rock and Roll Express, especially, those are two guys that I need. And once in a while, I'll get a text from Ricky Morton to say, hey, man, I just want to check in, and see how you're feeling. I'm like, holy that God, that's so Ricky great. Morton. That's Ricky Morton texting me. Love that <laughs> you know? guy. Yeah. It,
0: it, seem, it seems like the best coincidence that you're coming up in the wrestling industry. You happen to be in Philadelphia and there happens to be this great organization called ECW that's starting up.
1: Well, I'll go back a little bit further than that because sure. TWA was Tri-State Wrestling. That was ECW before ECW. That's why I initially went to wrestling school. Uh, There was a guy, Joel Goodhart, who used to do a radio show, and that's how I learned about the school. And they were going to have a rookies match. And I was like, well, that's cool. Myself and Derek Domino were going to be in a rookies match at the... It wasn't... Was it the Civic Center? There was another building near the Civic Center where TWA would run their shows. And the company went out of business. They announced it on the radio show. I had only about a month or so into wrestling school and my heart was broken. Yeah. Now, mind you, I actually, before that, I, I got a job. I quit my current job and I got a job at a car lot being a lot, man, a block from the wrestling school at Frankfurt and Tyson and Philly, just so I could sneak in before I went to wrestling school. And then in between sessions, to take bumps and try to figure out if I even knew what the hell I was doing, um, but that was T.W.I. then, of course, E.C.W. February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, was when, I'll I'll go back and actually debuted November tenth, nineteen ninety one, as the Boy in the Hood versus Crybaby Waldo. Your name was the Boy in the Hood. Well, they didn't they they put a mask on me because I wasn't ready to do anything, and they they didn't have a name for me, so Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson said. He's the boy in the hood, and that's what they called me. That match is somewhere. It's got to be somewhere. We need to find this. Maybe you and I should do a watch along on that match. That'd be incredible. That's
0: when I come to Atlanta. That's what we'll do.
1: Yeah, I'll be cringing, laughing, and crying a
0: little bit all at the same time. (laughs) So then, how did how did ECW come to be for you?
1: We technically had the Sports Bar was Eastern Championship Wrestling, February twenty fourth, like I said, nineteen ninety two. I The first match was myself against Jimmy Gennetti, which I think they ribbed me because they put us in a time limit draw, like a 15, 20, and I had no idea what I was doing. So Gennetti just beat me up for 20 minutes straight. And then this guy came in, Jeff, I forget his name, hit me in the head as a shoot with a Halliburton briefcase, which was probably my first concussion in the business. And that was it. But I realized that my body wasn't good. My work wasn't there. And they were talking about getting TV. And I was like, I'm terrible. I don't want anybody to see me like this on TV. So it was kind of weird. I had no clue about anything. I wasn't smartened up, but I was smart enough to know that I wasn't good. And if anybody saw me on TV, it would be embarrassing.
0: But you were smart enough to know what you didn't know from the sounds of it.
1: Right? Yes, were- I, was, yeah, I was smart enough to know I was stupid. That's pretty much <laughs> what it was. And you were thrown to the wolves and it was the sink or swim. Yeah. I knew how to sell and bump and that's kind of carried me through 30 years. So it was a good, <laughs> it was a good like uh, test run of all that. So that, that was good.
0: Your middle name is Steven, but who decided that your wrestling name would be Stevie Richards?
1: Well, it was Steve Richards at first. And I think um, at the time, Jimmy Gennetti was one of the coaches. JT Smith was another one. Larry Winters was another one. They had told me to think of a name of something. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to think of a name that's real because no one will ever turn around and say, well, who would make up a name like Stevie Richards? Like they, you know, back then though, people, it was a real thing that the business was still somewhat protected. So it would be a big deal for somebody to be able to find you if they found out your name. That's a whole different era that people don't understand. I'm sure you do that, Hey, it was a big deal for somebody to actually find out your real name and where you live and all that stuff. Sure, it was a real task. So I tried to do, you know, kind of a double double, as we say in the business, where my name's Steve Richards. And okay, cool. No one ever turned around and said, "But what's your real name?" You know.
0: (laughs) When I found out that Hulk Hogan's real name was Terry, my heart was broken. (laughs) Yeah,
1: me too. I I I experienced that a lot. Kind (laughs) of like uh, who's uh, trying to think of real names that are Michael Hickenbottom. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little bit. That's okay. But I my rolling's Michael, so I g I I Yeah, can't but really. Hickenbottoms, and bottoms, it's such a strange last name. It is. I want I never asked him what what uh ethnicity that is. I I'm trying know. to think of like the worst the, the, like the the there's one guy I'm thinking of as the, the the best, like toughest wrestling name, and I can't think of it, but then his name makes him sound like he's a Catholic preacher or something. Oh my God. I I, I hope don't i am think of it before point. the end. I, I think the CT kicked in now. I'm sorry.
0: What do you think is the biggest thing that you learned from working with Paul Heyman?
1: Just about everything, and it's a combination. Paul, Tommy, Raven, every single person I worked in ECW that Paul was nice enough, to, you know, to have the veterans that brought in and kind of, kind of taught a guy like me. But Paul, Paul had patience, and Paul had the the talent. This is why I don't understand why the promos on WWE aren't better. And I know he's not involved. Paul could do me better than me. I don't know if you've ever been around Paul. Paul could do everybody's gimmick for them. Wow! So Paul could cut the promo he needed in my voice. And then he would have the patience because I was a nervous kid and I never, I wasn't sure if what I was doing was even good. And he would just give me a second and talk to me. He would, he would produce me. He would ask me questions. Much like when I went to WWE, Vince Russo for the short time we worked together, he sat down and he kind of talked to me to get to know me, and he could produce me that way. And Paul had a great talent for that.
0: Did, was your voice always raspy
1: like this, or did no, no, happen? no? I got a I got a vocal cord implant. Oh my gosh! It, here's a little little Easter egg hunt for everybody. Listen to some of my promos from ECW, uh, the earlier the Raven stuff, or you know where I first came out with the half shirt. And that was pre-neck uh, surgery, pre-vocal cord implants. And I had a much, it probably got me heat that to have that voice. <laughs> so you scar- have someone
0: else's vocal cords?
1: No, no. It wasn't an, it wasn't a transplant. It was an okay. implant. It's a plastic box. Like in the- oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely so, see the scars there. This is the neck. And this here yeah. is the vocal implant for anybody watching. What was the cause of that? Well, what happened was the initial thing was the Terry Funk guardrail thing that people had seen uh yeah. May May 10th, 1997. So I'm trying to remember dates. But this is like Rain Man. This I'm is incredible. Yeah, I could I could turn into him by the end of the show. Who knows? I wish I knew how to count cards. I would have a better camera. Uh but the the guardrail thing really kind of messed me up for a while. And I had some neck injuries and Went to WCW. Those things continued. Came back to, to ECW, and it hit a point in December when it was just like it was just bad. There was a lot of a lot of numbness, a lot of pins and needles, a lot of stingers, well, on regular bumps. So I had neck surgery on uh, an ACF on C five, six, six, seven on December twenty second, nineteen ninety seven, and I woke up and I was like, man, it must be just because they intubated me with the tube that. My my voice is not really there. Yeah. So about a week later, they found out that they had paralyzed one of my vocal cords. So about three months later, they put the first one in, uh, in March of 98. Then I had the second one put in when I was training with Shane McMahon for Saturday Night's main event. He was training for a match against Shawn Michaels. And it's just over years and years of wear and tear. And then the thing with Shane, who's Shane's the real deal. So it's a pretty rough thing to train with Shane. Not that he tries to hurt you, but he's a, he's a ball. So that's when I had the second implant put in from there. And that was the, um, the ECW return thing where they showed the night, you know, it's funny, just a side note the the way WWE had worked at the time, they cut down the number of surgeries I had and they cut down the things in my life that I had talked about to Joey in the interview because The number of surgeries were too much for somebody with at my level. I had 19 throat and vocal cord surgery. I was going up to um, the Mass General up in Massachusetts every single week because they had to open the airway with many surgeries up until the bigger one where they put the implant in. So it was almost every week, multiple surgeries on my throat and vocal cord. So I, I named off the 19. And I remember Dusty says to me, and it's not on not on Dusty. He goes, he goes, listen, they're not gonna, they're not gonna go for that. And there was another thing about my brother dying of cancer and stuff. Because Joey's talking to me and asking me where I've been and what's been going on. And uh and he goes, You gotta knock that number down. So that number you see in the ECW promo yeah. is is it's different, is much lower. It's like They gave me the number. They told me how many surgeries I had, which I had to laugh about. It's so funny. Were you able to still speak during these 19 surgeries? I was able to speak then, but it was very, very raspy. And uh, the first time after the next surgery, I wasn't able to really speak for about three months up until the March surgery. I was trying to do, and that's why I started doing this. That's why we talked about microphones before. Yeah, yeah. Started but, recording. I got about eight of them.
0: This is the best one, the Shure SM Seven B. Well, I, I sound terrible in all of them, so I don't know. <laughs> That's because you don't have real vocal cords anymore. That's true. I got to blame the doctor for that. Yeah, seriously, when you but, retired in nineteen ninety seven, was that a legitimate retirement? Were you not playing to wrestle ever again?
1: It was. It was sort of legitimate. And now let me let me give you a little bit of context with that please. whole that all that whole period. At a young age, and this is where I give credit to the kids that are on TV today, WWE, Impact, and AEW, to have that kind of responsibility, that kind of TV time, to have the stress that they have in their life, I probably had like a little bit less than that, maybe on par. And the injury kind of made me make all these mistakes, one after the other, Uh, leaving ECW with hardly any notice, going to WCW out of nowhere going back to the gimmick that I had initially, almost taking steps back and not having the awareness to know that that's what was happening. And that's nothing that on Raven or Bischoff or anybody. That's my, I was offered a job and that was a, the spot I was told on. Yeah. Then going back to ECW, I felt like I still, I needed to make up the time that I, or whatever past sins that I had made in ECW, got injured almost instantly or the injury had, gotten to a point, and then I was done with the wrestling business after that mm. for a short time. I um, went back to school for networking, for computers, for tech, for all that stuff, and then dabbled in the independent scene, which turned into like four days a week at that time, like with NWA and other local indies in the tri-state area. It was crazy. It was like almost wrestling more then that I did with WWE. Uh, and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm per, I'm perfectly fine where I'm at. I'm going to get college degrees. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then of course, I'm going to pull you back in. You're not, we're not done with you yet. (laughs) Who was it that pulled you back in? I, I was talking to Terry Taylor and Vince Russo quite a bit and Terry Taylor gave me my job in WCW. And oddly enough, he gave me my job in, in WWE. I, he, they were worried about my neck, but I was getting in better shape and they were watching me wrestle four nights a week. And then he said, and then I literally, I'm not even kidding you. I, I worked at community college in Philadelphia. My head, I had a legitimate boss that was a mentor to me. I remember his name, Jack Demock. He was a great guy. And he said, we're probably going to offer you a full-time job. You get free tuition, you get benefits, things I've never heard of at such a young age. And nobody had graduated from college in my family yet. So there's a little bit of prestige I was looking for there too so I literally said I can wrestle in the indies but this is my life right now and I can pursue a academic career and do all these other things and I'm not even kidding you Chris literally 10 seconds later the call came (laughs) (laughs) and that changed everything it did it did and whether it be for the better or worse. My wife was texting me. I'm sorry. I don't like to keep her waiting. No, that's okay. Yeah, please. Reply to her. <laughs> she said, have a good interview. Oh, that's not will tell her. We are having a good interview. He's very supportive. Um, What's your wife's name? Christy. 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 Yeah. Christy. She actually well, hello, had a podcast Christy. we were working on too. She's all right, I'll tell you so hello. See, this is rivet. This is riveting stuff. This is so riveting. Chris says, Chris says hello. There you go. <laughs> So it's just a weird thing that, that like, when that happened, I talked to my mentor, my boss, Jack, and I said, I do have, I this is like the worst timing of anything. If this was at the end of my career and I had this opportunity, which I thought it was the end, but I said, I have to see this through. Yeah. I go, I might, I might be there six months and be gone. I don't know what the, what, what the deal is up there. It's a scary place. Yeah. WWE. And he said, "Do what you have to do, live out your dream." He goes, "I'll always be available." And we talked for probably a couple of years after that point. Especially when I got started with uh, my YouTube channel was a tech channel. Yeah. And I used to send him the videos at first and get get feedback when I started that in 2007. But that was the beginning, you know. Uh, I, got, I signed my deal in June 1999. We started in August, and then uh, Meanie and I had a I debuted on Heat. Saving Mini from Al Snow. And then we worked a program where we were trying to murder his dog with jumper cables. So I went, <laughs> I went from academia to, to trying to kill animals on pay-per-view. <laughs> it took me a while to,
0: to figure out what what was like, what the right to censor was all about and like what it was making fun of. I didn't realize it was making fun of the PTC at the yeah. time, which was trying to like censor everything that was going on on Raw at the time. Who pitched you this idea for right to censor?
1: Believe it or not, this is funny. I went from obscurity of working jacked and metal and once in a while on Raw, imitating, doing the parodies. So maybe yeah, yeah. that gave, gave them the idea. Vince came up and pinched, pitched to me himself. And I, mind you, outside of the time that I walked up to Vince on my first day, shook his hand and thanked him for the opportunity. And he said, let's have some fun. And didn't even ask him my name or anything and just walked away. That's the next time that Vince had talked to me. So you have to imagine it's like, wow. And the interesting thing about the right to censor was I don't think it was supposed to be for the long term and I don't think it was supposed to turn into what it did. Uh, it was obviously supposed to be a political statement against the parent television council and uh, yeah. Bozell. Uh, it was supposed to really be something of a middle finger and FU you to that. But also at the same time, it it gave me the opportunity to, to really look at myself and have people look at me in a completely different light that I can, I can talk and I can talk in this vein, not just the silly comedy. And the writer, uh, Jamie Morris, who actually has a YouTube channel, Jacob Israel, he was like basically right on the pulse of doing that and knowing that not only a political thing could last a month or two, but it kind of dies out. Yeah. But a cult, a cult like, thing that gathers some some steam and he goes we have to turn and kind of twist it into more cult-like phrases and look into my eyes i'm doing this for your own good all these different things that create like a stockholm syndrome within those groups and stuff it's yeah. it was kind of fascinating he, he he brought a whole new layer to me thinking about promos whole new psychology to it so jamie jamie i have to thank him for that too was that the
0: worst entrance music of all time? I do, let me ask you a question.
1: Yes, the short answer is yes. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, and I would get migraines sometimes. I'd be like, please, just have us run out without the music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think if the right to censor was on TV today, even maybe even strictly on the nostalgia, do you think it would get cheered?
0: No, I don't think it would get cheered because I think it would be, you guys would be booked as heels. I I don't think with the PG product, they would put out the right to censor at all. Not in WWE, not currently.
1: Well, the reason why they did it and they really ran with it was because the talent was beating themselves up way too much. So I think there was a protection factor. And also to peel uh, the product intensity back, the violence, excuse me, the violence, that meant when you did see it, you appreciated it. Or when it was done to me, you really appreciated it. Yeah. So, like, they were smart to continue to run with that, and maybe give guys a little bit more of a reset to not feel like they have to keep going further and further and further.
0: Well, it definitely got you and everybody in right to censor over as like mega heels. Like, I actually, I had a friend. I would, I would go over to his house to watch Raw, and when you guys came out, he would mute the TV because your (laughs) entrance theme was so annoying.
1: Oh my goodness. Oh, that's uh, That's that's the, that's a compliment. I don't uh, I don't no. take offense to that at all. That's that is a compliment. He didn't switch the channel, so that makes me you know. I would mute something.
0: it till you guys got in the ring and be like, oh, geez, that annoying beeping is finally over. Sure. You can. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
1: Even mute my promo as long as you're still tuning in for that quarter hour. <laughs> Let me ask you to, in the, the question in this context: If the right to censor music hit at the Royal Rumble, would it get? See, that's a different oh you, mega pop, of course, huge pop, mega pop. Until and then you... I would, I would say the the Rumble's canceled. That would be number one. <laughs> <Tell her. laughs> So Rumble's I, canceled, go home. Huge pop for Stevie
0: Richards, Steven Richards coming out to the right to censor music. And then I imagine on your way down to the ring for the Royal Rumble, you would do something heelish and the crowd would then turn on you.
1: Absolutely. The LED the LED panels would just come and try to fall on me yeah. if it was today. You know, if there's people there, it'd be different.
0: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, this isn't a crisis line. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy ever again. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp.com. Help, slash insight and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So the special offer for anybody listening to Insight right now is 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp.com slash insight. How long did you think the right to censor gimmick was going to last?
1: Interesting question because there's a lot of things I think that I've done that had more legs. And I, I look at this in the vein of getting baby faces over. I don't look at it as a run of getting myself over. The heels are strictly there to really, in the end, get baby faces over. We could have gotten a lot more baby faces over. It felt a lot longer than a year because we were out there so much on everything. And it was really only about a year, maybe a year and a couple months. I think it could have had a really good two-year run where we could have figured out how to get Godfather back from the good father, how to get Val back to a porn star, if we could do it politically, obviously, with ads and stuff, you know, the advertisers. (coughs) But that's what I mean. How could we get these characters? Even if nothing was done with me and I was still a heel, I got everything I needed off the rub from everybody else. Yeah, but how could we? Have, I think we could have got another year, just to springboard everybody into a different a different position.
0: Are you hopeful that you could have a Royal Rumble return at some point?
1: No, not really. I mean, it that people ask me that all the time. People even ask me if I'm retired, and I I guess I am because I don't re- actively wrestle, and I always think about like I, if I was in a Royal Rumble, I would politic so very hard to get out of there in the quickest, like to beat Santino's record and the Bushwhackers. (laughs) Because even in that vein, like I I would have to be TV ready. That's another thing too, no matter what, if somebody called me tomorrow and I was just doing a podcast with my buddy Ben Hameen for the locker room. I I said, if somebody called me now and said, be on TV Monday, I would say no, not because of my pride of, no, you don't, you know what I mean? You got to do something. No, I'd be like, I have to get in a certain type of condition. Yeah. I have to look a certain way, so I'd have to tan. And I would also have to get into a ring and roll around because the last thing I want to do is embarrass myself and embarrass the product Yeah, going out there. So even if it's a Royal Rumble thing, I'd really like to have a month's notice so you know I can get in shape. Even if it's just get thrown over the top rope, at least the novelty of a guy who looks 50 or however many years old they're so, like he's still taking care of himself, and it's good to see. Yeah, Not every wrestling story is a tragedy.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, look again. Look how great you look for being
1: a forty. Well, I saw Chris Masters. I don't know if you want to. I was going to wear. I was going to wear a sleeveless shirt, and then I saw his interview, and I said, <laughs> I thought about wearing a hoodie. After that. Well, I'm now that you
0: bring Chris Masters up again, let's talk about that because my
1: segueing unintentionally. I like
0: that. Very nice. Yeah. He. I don't know if everybody knows this, but in his debut match. He broke your nose. And well, I know you, it. You looked pretty <laughs> pissed
1: off. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell if I, I I listened or I watched what Chris had said, and I had no idea he had food poisoning. And I wish to God he would have told me because I would have for everything of everybody hyping him up that day. And I'll 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 put the heat on people like Arn Anderson and other people that might have been ribbing him. But at the same time, this kid was so like he told you. This is the guy who snuck into the hourhead Pond. He he's working around his idols in its debut after these vignettes, and he gets to wrestle on Raw live. Yeah. If you if you didn't have food poisoning, your stomach would be turning no matter what. So sure. I wish I knew that because I would have calmed them down. Because quite frankly, people were going up to him and saying, "Man, this is your only chance. This is the only chance you have to make good. Man, you better not fuck it up and better not do that." You know. So I wish I could have countered that. I wasn't really aware. So when we went out there, and it happened with the with the Polish hammer, first of all, I mean that's probably even counting JBL, that's about the hardest I've ever been hit because it's forearms right to the the whole face. So I had the broken orbital bone, my nose, which is still a little bit over, was literally over my eye, like it was that much pushed over. Wow! And. Uh, my All my teeth here needed to have like root canals and a couple of veneers and crowns, stuff like that. So they, a lot of stuff can happen. Now, what happened was that when I, I mean, thank God too, like it's really weird how you're mentally, uh, like he said, he had to be ready for that match no matter what. He couldn't yeah. take the day off. So my instincts somehow knew because I wasn't with it, dude. I was out. Uh, I could have just stayed there. But I got up and fed for the full Nelson for the Master Lock. I didn't know where I was, and even the pickup thing, I could have blew my knees out or twisted my ankle. But my body or reflex or just knowing that's what I had to do. It's I'm amazed at a lot of wrestlers that can finish matches. Not talking about I'm talking about in much work. Like Triple H blows his quad and tells yeah. Jericho to put him in the Walls. Jericho, dude, that's whatever you say about that dude. That's uh. That's, that's, that's beyond professional. That's almost like you're a little crazy. <laughs> that one and Kurt
0: Angle getting concussed when the table, the announce table broke too early and he finished the
1: match and has no recollection of finishing the match. Yeah. We wrestlers are a strange breed, but, um, <laughs> here, here's how we put humor on stuff too. How's this? So I am, I am visibly upset. I'm not upset like with Chris, like anything's going to happen or I'm not like, what are you going to do at this point? And I mean, obviously, I, all I can think about too is I feel bad for this kid because I hope they just don't take him off TV because it's a yeah. big debut. But I'm stomping and kind of like blood is pouring out. I mean, gushing out of my mouth, out of my nose, out of one of my eyes. It was, it was ugly. I walk like really mad, blood all over me in front of uh, the monitors here. The chairs are here. And I'm like this. And I turn, and I go, excuse me, has anybody seen Chris? And like Molly Holly just went like that and I I said thank you and I stomped off and I went up to Chris and I saw him and he was like if he wasn't crying or he wasn't crying before I got there he was on the verge and I walked up and I go I only have one question for you how are your hands and that was it how are your hands yeah I asked him if he was okay oh my god so that was just trying to bring some kind and also they were watched yeah. the office was watching me yeah and testing me and testing him and I go you didn't mean to do it and he goes I'm so sorry and I go I forgive you it's okay I go you know I just don't and I said don't let these people over here see you sell like this I go we're having a conversation like man apologize shake my hand I accept your apology shook his hand he hugged me and then of course like he told you to this day, every time I, we even took a joke picture in an outdoor thing with me leaning into it. And what can you do, man? I mean, and Chris is one of the good guys in the business. One, He's one of yeah. the really good guys in the business. Um, one thing that hurt me a little bit for him was, I know he was talking about when he came back and he was leaner and there was a lot of people talking and and speculating and I remember they ribbed him on TV with Hunter and Sean yeah. saying, he was like, oh, maybe I'll write a book. And he was like, oh, what's that? How to lose 40 pounds in six weeks or something. And yeah. I was like, that's really, dude, that's not a good thing to say to a dude. Just came back and he's a good guy. I don't, I don't, you know, he's one of the few that like, I wish I could talk to from time to time to see how he's doing and really do care about a, a person outside the ring like Chris. He's such a good guy. He yeah, said, you well, guys well, met before you interviewed yeah, him, well, right? I
0: traveled with him. So when we're off here, I'll connect you guys, and then you can cool. you know, make good or do whatever you need to do. I do hate him because he looks better, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, we all hate him. He's it, the masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> so it was straight to the hospital for you after that apology, I'm guessing?
1: No, I actually drove. I couldn't fly because of the altitude and the blood <laughs> clotting stuff. So I drove 357 miles from uh, Penn State to Connecticut, where I lived. And dude, when I dropped—I mean, we go through the Pocono Mountains and everything. When I dropped that Hertz rental off, it looked like someone got murdered. It was—it was brown leather on a like a SUV. Oh my! But God. all I could do was this and the steering. And I look and it looked, and I reached over with the GPS when they used to have GPSs on top of the dashboard. Yeah. Dude, you got handprints, bloody handprints, <laughs> blood on the seat. I mean, it's just like I was like, I was like that when I when I rented it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing you didn't get your damage deposit back.
1: <laughs> no, they didn't do anything surprisingly. But if I scratched, if I just touched the 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 rear trunk with my <laughs> bag loading it, I could charged a hundred bucks. So yeah, that's the way it works. I don't miss so traveling. Then you went to the hospital after that. Uh, I went to the gym. I worked out when I when I got home because it was like 5 a.m. and I was like I can't sleep, so I'm gonna go to the gym. So now you know there's a there's two cups on the on the elliptical. There's one cup from my thing and another cup from one my nose and I yeah. I, it was a really interesting time. If you're a gym goer in Connecticut or Philadelphia during those times, you're probably like I remember this maniac. Who is he? But I, it's the only. It's a weird thing. Like I said, wrestlers are crazy. It was the only thing that I could do to feel in control at that particular point. And of course, I went to the doctor and got checked into the hospital and all that stuff after that. Jeez,
0: that is a hell of a story. That might be one of the best stories we've ever heard on this show.
1: I'm not. I'm, I'm telling. Hopefully, I'm telling this from a self-deprecating viewpoint. Oh, my, for sure my, you okay. are. Okay. But yeah. all of us are going, you are insane. <laughs> I am. But you remember what I said, though never miss a workout. I don't want to go back to being 262 with a 44 inch waist. There's no excuse. And and that's, I've changed now. I mean, I've no two a day, stuff like that, no overdoing it. I'm really trying to be a little bit more efficient and effective rather than working out just for the sake of doing.
0: You know, we talked about right to censor, but I'm, (laughs) I'm curious if more people know you from that or know you from the blue world order.
1: Um, you know, what's funny there's, the, they say, write the censor. Now, most people won't recognize me because I have long hair and now I have a beard. But a lot of people recently, for some reason, Dr. Stevie, and I know we'll get to that, but Dr. Stevie, and then there's some people that started to discover Stevie Night Heat from watching the network. So it's kind of cool that these little things that I made become like underground kind of niche stuff Yeah, that people go like, oh, I didn't know this existed and they're. Kind of more into it than other stuff. Well, it's
0: crazy to look at your career because you've wrestled everywhere: ECW, WCW, WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor. You know, you've literally been
1: everywhere. I've been—I'll tell you—and I can't even tell you how how these things happened. Just showing—I mean, just showing up to ECW, obviously back then, every single night, bag in hand, begging to get choke slammed 10, 10 times by nine one one. Or whatever, whatever I could do to be there. Because showing up is probably half of the deal right there. I don't know if that's the way it works now, but I hope it does to some extent where if you're just there and you're willing to help and you're willing to be seen, somebody in wrestling is always going to screw up. Somebody in wrestling is always going to no show. And that's when I would most times step in and get opportunity. Uh, With places like TNA, I just told Terry Taylor after I got released, I go, you know what? I should be. I'd like to be Dr. Stevie. I love to be a business therapist. I love to erase the name Stevie Richards because all I've been doing is putting people over. That name means nothing. Let me do a new character. And then he pitched it to Russo. Russo pitched it to Jared, I guess. And they brought me in. Um, But a lot of different stuff was just me doing stuff because I wanted to work. Not because I was trying to like, because I was so smart, I was navigating these political water, shark-infested waters. I was like, I just want to do something cool and have fun. And then if I'm working with Gold Dust or Spike Dudley on heat, we feel like we have an angle. Yeah. Al Snow and Coach would be involved. And all these different things could happen from that. And who cares if like nobody ever watches it? We're we're feeling like our bumps, we're feeling like our matches, the physicality, which is the, the bottom match, the top match hurts just the same for most people. So, sure. so that's what it was to give kind of like those things a little bit more meaning at the time.
0: Gangrel said something to me when I interviewed him recently, and he said that during the Attitude Era, everyone had a storyline. And it's oh, yeah. so true. When you think about what you were doing, you, you had a storyline, no matter where you were on the card, no matter if you were on Heat or Metal or jacked, you had something that was progressing your story along.
1: It's funny because, you know, Gangrel's a great guy and a hell of a worker and such a physical worker. And I think he could be on TV today. You, that's another thing. You, you see the ring of fire with the music. Everybody instantly recognizes it. It's really one of those characters like him and Goldust that stand the test of time. But yeah, I mean, think about it. You could plug a Gangrel in to work The Rock one week on Raw. Then Gangrel could work X-Pac, which they had a great program. Uh, then you could have, you know, Steve Blackman working... Billy Gunn and Steve Blackman work in Austin or they, you everybody seemed to be just in different spots, not hierarchy. It was really, I mean, it was a great time to watch and a great time for the boys to feel like their work was being like progressed.
0: It kind of feels like AEW does that a little bit. Like they'll have guys from all different parts of the card wrestling each other, which
1: maybe is a callback to that era. I hope so. I, I I heard this week, especially as we're recording this, because I watch it from time to time, I heard this week was probably the best episode that they they feel like they're getting their legs underneath them from a storyline standpoint. I don't know. I'll have to watch it, but that's what I heard the, with the guys I podcast with. Well, I mean, which
0: is great because AEW's done more shows without a crowd than they ever did with crowds with full arenas. So if they're getting their footing now, whenever we can have full crowds again, I think you know, things really take off from there.
1: Yeah, I hope so. They're they're lucky to be in Florida and they're lucky to have the infrastructure that with the Jacksonville Jaguars and everything and use that, use that as much as you can.
0: Why do you think, I mean, you're an ECW original. Why do you think that WWE's version of ECW didn't work out?
1: That can be said for a lot of things uh, that Vince McMahon didn't create. I think it's mm. pretty obvious. I mean, he he protects his brand, which is you can't blame anybody for that. But I feel like I've heard like just right in front of me, like, you know, that he he was a star in that other place. And that was almost a kiss of death. I was lucky because I was never, I was kind of up there, but I was never known to the casuals or to maybe his eyes as a top guy from there, which I think almost was a benefit to be sort yeah. of unknown. But yeah, I don't know what happened with that. The WWE version of VCW had a different look. I loved coming through the crowd on the entrance thing instead of a ramp. Um, obviously, was a vehicle. I think the whole thing was a vehicle for Punk. And if that was the result that they wanted out of that, they made their money back on the investment. And what I heard from Joey Styles one time, I think it was Joey or somebody within the office, that ECW was the most profitable brand of all three because of the investment in it and then the return. You didn't have to put as much money into mm-hmm. ecw plus the rise and fall dvd was the top one or even the top five for how many years yeah
0: so that well, was the a cash pro- cow right there the problem was it wasn't ecw so to even call it ecw just i mean i was a huge ecw fan to call it ecw didn't feel right because it wasn't it wasn't ECW.
1: it it wasn't but it i'll back up i don't know if you ever interviewed tommy Tommy yes,
0: I've interviewed Tommy a few times. Has Tommy
1: told you the story that, like, I remember one night stand before when they announced it was relaunching, he was in touch with Shane McMahon. And this was around the time, I believe, that we were doing the training too at in Stanford, because Dreamer was in on those training sessions, taking half the beating as well as <laughs> me from Shane. Uh, but, but Dreamer told me, and Rob had talked about it too, Rob Van Dam, that it was supposed to be. Like all ECW, even the agents, I think Jerry Lim was supposed to, I mean, it was all supposed to be kind of encapsulated in his own brand. And it did start out where we were doing house shows. I think the first one was Racine, Wisconsin. I wrestled Al Snow. And it was a very much an ECW style crowd. And I think that's what we were talking about. Maybe even one building where it looked like the ECW arena for TV. You know how things happen. It gets in different people's hands and. Then it was out of control, and I think Tommy was very, very hurt by that because he was in the office, but they they weren't letting him have the vision that him and Paul wanted to have.
0: Well, Tommy told me, and I'm sure, I think this is very public knowledge that Vince McMahon was helping Paul Heyman like ensure that ECW was going to stay in business for a while.
1: Yes. I mean, we, we didn't know it at the time because we were pumped up to think they were the enemy. Although deep down, I made visits to Stanford while I was with the company and I was friends with Vince Russo. I would talk to Vince Russo all the time. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, but to Paul's credit and to his defense in some ways, that's what was needed to motivate us. If we were working, what would people do if like within the locker room, if. WWE was funding us, and he'd been telling us they're the enemy all along. Yeah, and that we needed to make our own names. Maybe we, maybe half of the guys would have went up there, and been turned into a, a joke gimmick and undone all the stuff that Paul had had produced. They kind of did it anyway.
0: Yeah, the guys I mean, were going up there. So sad to see like what happened. Mike Awesome was dominant in ECW, and then he goes to WCW and WWE, and it's like, oh, that's not that's not even the same guy.
1: Yeah, and 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 he's not around anymore. So that's I mean, it's sad. He was a nice enough guy. Whenever I met him, he was right—not with for his size, much like uh, Viscera. Also, rest in peace to him. Yeah, just as gentle as can be, and nice and it, cool. Two cool guys, at least to me, they were. Yeah, I I feel
0: like you could have with the momentum you had in ECW. They really could have utilized you in a mid mid card like or even higher here in WWE and I feel like and you said it many times you're just kind of there to put people over
1: yeah and I wasn't even given the opportunity to do that it was actually a joke when like Joey Joey wasn't making a mean joke but he was like you know it was like months down the line I was there for the first two or three weeks and then you didn't see me and I wasn't heard it was like Joey's like Stevie Richards has so much a little bit of trouble getting out of the gate here in the new ECW it's like well I'm not getting booked but Yeah. yeah I was just a guy I was actually I was in a good spot, I think, because I was attached to Punk so many times. Yeah, We had some matches that I I feel like really, in a way, carried that brand. Uh, And if I was on the losing end of all those, and like I said, if it was a vehicle to get Punk over to the next level, I'm fine with having a part with that. Now, if you make me into nothing, and I'm just a guy that always loses in the really good competitive matches with Punk, I believe it only lessens him over time. Yeah. Why is he having so much trouble beating this guy that everybody beats?
0: Yeah. Do you wear being the 21-time hardcore champion as a badge of honor?
1: No, because I was a 22-time. Don't let Raven fool you. Propaganda. I'm not going to get into this fight again. This guy, this has been going, this is like the (laughs) longest running angle ever. Hey, you know, Raven texted me like a few months ago because I said something on a podcast where I said, he was really, he was telling the magazine guys or the web, whoever the guys were before that book came out. He was like, he was, we were all keeping track. It was fun. Yeah. Me, Stasiak, Raven, Crash, uh, Spike, we we're just keeping track and it turned into like a friendly rib back and forth in the yeah. locker room. But I, we were looking and I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm up there. And then Raven was like, no, no, I had it more than you. And then it was just like, whatever I had, he had one more. So he. <laughs> He took one away and called himself the, first he called himself the 23 time. Hmm. Then somehow he became, they said, no, you wanted 22. Oh, that means Stevie wanted 21. (laughs) So I was just like, but that's, 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 part of what I miss even though Scotty'll probably text me when he sees this and be like oh god not again I'm like but that's the fun of at least I'll at least I'll know he's okay and I'll get a text from him <laughs> what did you, what did you
0: what did you think about them bringing in the 24/ 7 championship
1: oh that was a I mean that was when the the people were in the crowd too and Mick Foley came out with it and they thought it was going to be the hardcore title right yeah and 24 7 and it was a it was a disappointment. I mean, it got a lot of cross-promotion with Gronk, with Bad Bunny, and other things. But the hardcore title was more about that. Now, now the thing that I didn't like about the 24-7, and it is a safety concern, is everybody's getting schoolboyed. Yeah. It just exposes it. I mean, if you can add some element of getting hit with some kind of plunder, and I know they can't really do that with the concussions, yeah. But you can hit somebody in the back with a cookie sheet and they can take a back bump and you can cover them.
0: Yeah. And that would also be a much cooler sports center clip if Gronk's getting hit in the back with a cookie sheet mm-hmm. rather than. Well, just, he didn't
1: want to fall off the balcony. So I don't know if he would take the cookie sheet. Well, then sheet. <laughs> Vince Vince showed him how to fall off the balcony. That was so crazy. My favorite Vince McMahon um, gesture of all time. And then whether he's falling off the balcony, whether he's. Um, Supposedly, allegedly, uh, belt squatting a thousand pounds. I'll I'll debate that till the end of time. <laughs> or the Roddy Piper phone call at the beginning of the A and E documentary, which was—I won't go into the kind of the the, the you know the the verbal thing—but at the end, I love when he goes. That's a Vince McMahon. See, God damn it, you can do it. <laughs> but if watch Vince, anytime he shows off, it's like that old like. Look, I just did it. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or there it is. <laughs> well, what did you learn from all your time working with Vince? Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself after the fact. And the, to be hypercritical, which I think everybody should look at themselves in a very critical way in order to get better, Uh, I made a lot of mistakes as far as... uh not from a personal level, more from a business level of maybe I could have taken it even more serious. I could have maybe just quietly done stuff instead of, in my way, sometimes standing up for my own business was talking to Vince, which my timing usually was at the worst possible time, which I had no idea. You don't know until you're actually up there talking to him. So it's a crap shoot. Um, but a lot of different things. Now, from the other side, I always made myself available. So when you didn't see me on TV, I was an OVW. When you didn't see me on TV, I was still working house shows. When you didn't even see me on TV and didn't see me on house shows, I was calling Johnny Ace. Where do you need me? What do you need me to do? I moved to Connecticut to make myself more available for the company. So maybe I could have did more there. Now, now you might look at them, man, man, you did a ton. Yeah. I never look at it that way. I always look at, like, I could have done so many things, maybe a little bit differently, maybe gone a little further, maybe stuck with a little bit more. Maybe here's an interesting thing. Maybe asked for my release from the company years earlier, rather than living in the bubble and getting my guarantee and just being comfortable. Maybe if I left four years earlier, instead of staying, staying almost 10, or maybe if I cut that in half... Went to TNA when they were starting up, made my name in TNA then, and then had, had the opportunity to go back to WWE under a different look from Vince. Mm. That's what's happening a lot, I think, in most companies. And to their credit, you are getting a check. You're working. It's very scary to have your own business and brand. Trust me, 13 years after being released from WWE, I'm still waking up every day like, okay, okay, what's next? What do I do? even though I have this stuff set up. Yeah. I'm sure you do the same thing as your own businessman. You constantly worry about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe tell people a little bit about what what it is that you are doing now with Stevie Richards Fitness.
1: Sure. Sure. And I'll tell you an interesting little fact of how funny things work out. Yeah. Currently I have Stevie Richards Fitness. It's a resistance band training program. There's a 12 and 16 week programs. Uh, Like I said, I, I like to really cater to beginners and people resetting or rehabbing injuries—things that I had to deal with in my career and life. Uh, there's also full follow-along workout videos that you can buy. But I initially got into the YouTube game back in 2007. I had a YouTube channel. I also had a podcast that was mainly technology, and it it just got no traction. Okay, and <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed doing it, and I did it under my real name because I didn't want the crutch of. Wrestling. I wanted to see if I was going to be good enough on my own. So over time, it did kind of gain a little traction. But what happened is, after I got released, I went to TNA. I tried getting into fitness, personal training, uh, creating fitness content, doing all that kind of stuff. I even had an in person kind of personal training business at my friend's gym. I got no clients. Mm. And I was, I, this is coming off WWE TV, currently being on TNA, and nobody, and I wasn't really like TV shape. Yeah. And nobody wanted to work out me. Nobody wanted to train me. No one wanted to pay me. Uh, I tried that for a couple of years. It didn't work out. Then I created these programs in 2016. The first one being the 12 week. It sold one copy in one year. And I make the joke, but I don't think I'm joking. It was probably somebody that knew me and just felt sorry for (laughs) me. And there's nothing wrong with the program. This is what I was doing when I... Couldn't get to the gym when I was injured and couldn't lift weights. Um, even at the, at the flight delays, if I wanted to get a workout in, I knew I had to land, put my gear on in the car and go right to the ring for the first match. Yeah. I still got my workout in using the resistance band. So this was like 20 years in the making since I, since I was in WWE. Uh, so I had to retool it. I had to do different things. Then I went into a realm, which is what we all do. Like, we all want to be all things to all people. You have a you have a YouTube channel where you interview people about their wrestling careers and their lives. If you turned around and just started putting up cooking videos that didn't have the wrestler in it, that you weren't, yeah, like, yeah. we're going to work out together and have fun and talk and do stuff like that. But if I was trying to be a powerlifting guy, I was trying to be a bodybuilding guy, I was trying to be the advanced guy, the intermediate guy, and then this this beginner guy. You had and to my find your had,
0: niche is what you're saying.
1: Yes. And then my wife just turned around to me and said, what's wrong with being the resistance band guy? Hmm. And at first you're like, well, I'm so much more than that. You now I do my yeah. Vince McMahon walk. Uh, but really what it comes down to is you need to be defined by people need to know what you are. It is kind of a label. It is kind of stereotyped. It is kind of staying in your lane. Once I did that and I started focusing and I started really testing things, like I told you about the Power Band program, it started to work because now people were like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm. I'm just starting out because God, I mean, I can't be a Luke Hawks. I can't be a CT Fletcher. I can't be a Mark Bell, but I can be me. Yeah. And that really is me. And then it started to build up. and And I'm not on TV and I'm not wrestling full time for anybody on TV or even part time. And it started to, gain traction. So the site's been up since then. The interesting thing is, Chris, that a natural progression was the band program. And then my wife gave me permission to turn our entire apartment into a home gym. This is pre-pandemic, like two or three years before that. And I got an affiliate model with Force USA, with Diamondback Fitness, with other fitness companies. And I test home gym equipment. So the people that do the band programs eventually say, I want to start lifting weights, but I don't want to go to the gym because I'm still not confident enough. So it was weird how it all worked out because I had no idea that these things would even line up. Yeah. Whatever you believe in. I believe in God. I believe in what I believe. If you believe in serendipity or in the universe, it's just weird how these things come together, not when you want them to, (laughs) when they're supposed to. And then
0: this all takes off, I'm sure, with COVID and everybody working from ho- working out from
1: home. Yeah, it's been, I, I didn't want it to be successful because of this. But well, both it's, it's successful also in spite of this. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm really inspired by people that actually have taken the initiative to know that, man, if I buy this, it's expensive, but it's like the buy once, cry once thing. <laughs> and they know I'm not going back to the gym and... Whoever makes the decisions is not going to decide whether I work out or, excuse me, stay in shape or what I do because it is right there. It's in my garage. It's in my basement. It's in a spare bedroom. And that's the coolest thing when they said, it's because I watched your video and it's like, you mm. were, you, you were honest about it. Cause not everything is great. I'm not going to be like, you know, a shill for something, but you get to a point. I'm sure, you know, like you with the you still got that sponsorship i'm trying to plug it yeah <laughs> the code is, it is, CVV. It is awesome. Ridge. Com slash cvv there you go but you don't have to you don't have to the best feeling in the world is when you don't have to lie to people and you convert sales at the same time yeah i don't, I, I i told you before when i started before i was wrestling and i was young i wasn't trying to be a phony or be somebody that i wasn't but I wasn't comfortable with who I was and I didn't know if people would ever accept me for me just being the goof that I am. Yeah. But these things that I have and the things that I talk about, and even before I get on with you, it's just a little side note, I had the same social anxiety of meeting new people and talking to new people and I was nervous about being on here with you. I watch your stuff and I I didn't logically have a reason, but you're somebody new that I'm meeting and I'm hoping that we can get along and we can talk and that you like it and that you like what's, what this is going to be when you upload it. I a love this. Very natural thing.
0: I, this has been an amazing conversation. And I think the big takeaway from everything you just said there is you've been authentically you, your whole career in, in the wrestling ring. And now with what, what you're, with what you're doing in
1: fitness. Sometimes to a detriment. <laughs> Maybe, but that's also why you've been so successful. I, I am. I, success is measured different ways. I've been such an immensely blessed person to have success and people around me that support me, whether I'm successful or not. And there's no such, sounds so, so cliche to say there's no such thing as failures, but all the failures that I had are in the same category space that I'm having success in. I just didn't find what you said. I didn't find my niche, not my yeah. niche, my, I didn't find where I could be comfortable and people could be comfortable with me, and it takes yeah. time. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to link
0: up to your YouTube channel down below so people can subscribe to you if they're watching this right now. So everybody who's watching this can go over and subscribe to Stevie's channel.
1: I, I mean, I'm i going to buy that Ridge wallet now. <laughs> <use> code <laughs> so we can support each other. What What is your definition of success? I would say, I mean, financial is one thing, but there's a lot of people that have a lot of money that are miserable. I would say more fulfillment. Like when you wake up in the beginning of the day, you have an idea of what you want to do. Yeah. And then if you can progress even just this much. Yeah. Like this thing is a super positive thing, talking to you and spending time and hopefully people getting to know me a little bit better. It, it's a pretty awesome thing. So if nothing good happens for the rest of the day, I'm okay. But I got yeah. up and worked out. So that's a, that's a mini success right there. Yeah. Then I served others. I was there to help my wife even get something ready before she went to work. I feed my yeah. cats. I do things. I, I see somebody having trouble at Walmart today because they're a little short trying to reach the top shelf. And I ask them, and I have the ability to help. It sounds so deeply cliche or anything, but just at that moment, I was able to kind of give that little person a little bit of help at a point of frustration. Yeah. And then just but, walk away and they say, thank you. I say, you're welcome. And-
0: Rough. It's celebrating these little wins in every day. And I, I I think that if you win the morning, you'll win the day. And if you win enough days in the week, you win the week. And then if you win the weeks, you win the months. And then it just keeps going on from there.
1: Here's the trick. And I do it all the time. I'm MFing myself all the time. <laughs> it's okay to have bad days. It's got to be okay to have bad days because you won't even be able to recognize what the good right, ones but, are.
0: But was it a bad day? Or was it a bad five minutes, 20 minutes, bad hour? You know, and I think True. that that's the big thing that too many people will focus on the tiny little piece of their day and not mm-hmm. realize they have 23 and a half more hours to figure stuff out.
1: You should start a motivational channel. A <laughs> that, could be,
0: that could be a collaboration <laughs> that we'll do here. Me, we'll make, we'll make this happen. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you Same so here. much.
1: Same here. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's a. The only thing I regret is that you and I, to some capacity, didn't hook up together sooner to kind of... BS, and talk, and get to know each other.
0: No, it was meant to be at this exact moment, on this exact day. Vince Russo was the one who connected us together. So a big thank you to him. And you know, Stevie, I end every interview talking about gratitude. So I'm curious, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now?
1: I said it before, I'm grateful. Well, I'm grateful for my health because I did everything in my power in my wrestling career to not have my health. So I'm very grateful to that. I'm grateful for the people that I love and care, that love and care about me, talking about my wife, my friends, people that I'm close to, even people that, you know, come across and put me in a more positive, you know, frame of mind per day. You being one of those people right now. Oh, uh, thank you. And, you know, on a belief, I'm I'm grateful for my faith. I'm grateful to still have my faith today when it's tough in this society. And it can be whatever faith you want it to be. I I always preface with that or no faith at all, but it's a very powerful thing to have. And as things become tougher and tougher in life and society in this world, having that makes you act completely differently than if you lose it all. Does that make sense? Makes total sense what a great
0: way to end this my goodness Ooh, thank God I, I, was, I
1: was I wasn't sure there for a second
0: <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation thank you January. so much thank you man I appreciate it ah there's so much that we learned from that interview a big thank you to Stevie for his time big thank you to you for your time as well there's so many podcasts in the world you could be listening to so Thank you for spending the last hour with us. You can learn more about Stevie Richards Fitness at stevierichardsfitness.com. And snap a screenshot. Let us know what stood out for you the most during this episode. Tag Stevie on Twitter. He's at BWO Stevie. And he's at Stevie Richards on Instagram. I am at Chris Van Vliet. And there's a sign that is hung in my parents' house since I was a kid. And that sign is still there now. My parents... Dirk and Helen Van Vliet, who are the greatest parents anyone could ever ask for, have been married for 47 years and they still live in the same house since before I was born. And this sign hangs there and it's really motivated me. I don't know if this, you know, I don't know if I realized the effect that this quote had on my life as a kid, but now in hindsight, when I look back, I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. The quote is from John A. Shedd that says, A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And when I think about this, over the course of my career, I moved from my hometown, Pickering, Ontario, Canada, to Vancouver, to Toronto, to Cleveland, to Miami, to Fort Lauderdale, to Cincinnati, and now I live in Los Angeles because a ship in harbor is safe. But that's not what ships are built for. So however that applies to your life, take that with you this week. Also, a happy belated Mother's Day to any of the mothers that are listening out there. And happy belated mother. Well, I I FaceTime my mom on Mother's Day, but happy belated Mother's Day to Helen Van Vliet as well. She's the best. She is the, you're the best for listening too. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. Thanks for listening to this little tangent I went off on here. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. We will see you on the next one for some more insight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants.